Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hi, everybody. I'm Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. Our celebration of Black History Month concludes with two fascinating conversations. Remember the Academy Award-winning movie, The Green Book? Martinique Lewis knows it all too well. She's the author of the ABC Travel Green Book, connecting the African diaspora globally. And she talks to me about the actual Green Book and why that resource is still needed today and the real travel connections that unite all of us, as well as bringing the proper focus to the black travel experience. Of course, February is also Black History Month. And as it applies to travel, there are so many stories to tell most importantly, so many lessons to learn, and even more importantly than that, so many lessons to apply. So I thought it'd be great to check in with Martinique Lewis. She's the author of the ABC Travel Green Book. Remember the Green Book? Connecting the African diaspora globally. I should say the African diaspora. I'll learn how to pronounce that one of these days. Martinique, welcome. So much, and it's okay. Some people say diaspora and other people say diaspora. We know what you mean, so it's all good <laughs> and well. Well, you know, just for that, I'll just call you Martin Eek. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I take it back. No, no, no. So let's talk, you know, when you talk about that movie, which we all loved and it won the Academy Award, um, it was real. I mean, that green book was real. And, and what people don't realize is what its real name was. It wasn't the green book. It was called the Negro Motorist Green Book and it was first published back in 1936. So, you know, the, the problems of traveling while black are not exactly new. No, they've never been new. They've never, they haven't been new since before slavery. It's, it's always, it's always been an issue. Um, the Green Book movie was an incredible movie, but I personally don't think it should be called the Green Book because it didn't focus on the book. It focused on the characters and to have such a monumental book, something that kept people safe when they were traveling up and down Route 66 for over 30 years, but to not highlight that, only to highlight it, to, you know, small, small, because it's Hollywood, of course, but the Green Book had such a bigger impact than that. Black people could not travel without the Green Book or else they would literally lose their lives. And that was not all the way portrayed in that movie. It was a great storyline and it was a great movie, but it did not do Victor Hugo Green justice. 
who is the author of the Negro Motorist Dream Book. Which, of course, is a perfect segue for me to talk about the ABC Travel Green Book series. That's you. Yes, that is me. And just like Victor Hugo Green's book, I wanted to make sure that Black travelers globally felt safe when traveling to different countries, but not only that, but they were able to identify Black-owned businesses in those countries. So one thing that Victor Hugo Green did is he helped amplify Black-owned accommodations and restaurants and gas stations. But he also included in his book allies to the Black community, which was awesome. I don't necessarily do that in my book, but instead I took that same theme of helping to amplify and celebrate Black businesses and communities worldwide. And instead of only doing it in America, I did it on six out of seven continents. Why only six out of seven? Because nobody lives in Antarctica. But in every other continent, you can find Black people there. So what do I mean? It means that you can take a Black history tour in Colombia, or you can take another Black history tour in Amsterdam, or Paris, or London or Scotland, or New York, or Memphis, or Austin, Texas. Or I can tell you, yes, there are Black farmers in Scotland, but there's also a Black farmer in New York. There's also a Black farm in California. Or I can say, do you want to know where you can brunch in a Black-owned restaurant around the world? Or I can tell you where you can get your hair braided in South Korea or even Israel. So I wanted to make sure that as a Black traveler, who's constantly trying to fit into a narrative of not only safety, but seeing people who look like you worldwide to make sure that there was a resource where you can help identify those neighborhoods and Black-owned businesses. All right, then you've opened the door here, Martinique. Here it comes. Where the hell do you get your hair braided in South Korea? (laughs) So as you know, there's a migration movement that happens from different countries. There's a lot of Africans in South Korea. There's also a huge Black expat community. Some of them go over there to teach overseas. So that's why you start seeing Black people, especially Black Americans, in a lot of random places like Kuwait, like Oman, like South Korea. And so when they're there, they have to still get their hair done or their nails done or buy beauty products or be able to shop in some type of Afro or Caribbean um, grocery store so they can still make the same food that they would eat at home or look the same that they would look at home. So there's actually a whole community in South Korea that is for Black people. And in doing this book, I mean, you know, I just used South Korea as an example, but in doing this book, what was the biggest surprise for you as a destination where you actually were able to find what you were looking for? Um, So I would say Turkey, Pakistan, like a lot of places um, in Eastern Europe and Asia where I didn't know, like I just said, Oman, I didn't know there were a lot of Black people there. Kuwait, I didn't know there was a lot of Black people there. But, you know, through the power of social media, luckily these expats have created groups, which I also tell you where these groups are on Facebook for Black expats. So if you're a Black expat and you want to move to Mexico, there's a group for that. If you're a Black expat and you want to move to Brazil, there's a group for that. So it, it helps, you know, create some community. But this is also where you're able to see all the different things that are there to make Black people feel like they're at home or to help Black people mesh into society. And I think that was really, really important. But specifically knowing that there are Black people in, in Pakistan, in Turkey, um, in Yemen, those stories were really powerful to me because those are the things you don't read about on Google. Those aren't the things you don't see in the history books, on YouTube, yeah. or even in a museum. So it was like uncovering a lot of this history as to how they got there, which a lot of people always think Black people got places because of slavery. But Black people were explorers, too, just like the French or just like the Dutch or just like the Spaniards. 
So it's really interesting to see all of these stories that have never been told before. You know, what strikes me as interesting here is that it's one thing for us to talk about Black History Month and celebrate Black history, but what you're really doing is celebrate the new evolution of, of Black history and the emergence of Black community. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So there's nothing new about Black travel. It's just newer to us because it's finally in front of our face where people are finally ready to speak about it. Um, and I think that it's always important to be able to guide people and let them know, yes, this is how these people got here, or this is where you can see yourself reflected. So absolutely. You know, I always say the worst four-letter word that starts with F when it comes to travel, of course, is fear. Uh, part of the Black travel experience is it has been about fear, and now hopefully your book is about mitigating that fear. Absolutely. But also what my book makes sure to do is to tell you, as a Black person, this is what has happened recently. These are the reports we, we got. So we just want you to know so that you can be alert and aware. The fact of the matter is there's a lot of people who have never seen Black people before. So just because they stare doesn't mean that, that there's something wrong with you. They just might genuinely be intrigued. But it's also doing research about a place yeah. before you go. And um, a lot of that, you know, thanks to social media, has been disbanded or has been um, put to rest because a Black person has gone to places where they wouldn't traditionally go. My thanks to Martinique. And next up, I get to speak with a recording session legend, Kirk Whalem. He's played saxophone for just about every major music star there is, and he's also toured the world. Kirk talks to me about his travel experience as a musician and composer and band leader, and his vision of global harmony through music. Some really wonderful uh, conversations on the issue of not just black history, but also black travel and the component of travel in the black experience. And joining me now, I'm really honored to have him on the show. I don't even know how to begin this introduction. He's a Grammy award-winning composer and saxophonist. But think about this. This guy's been a session guy, the most in-demand session player you can imagine, to Barbara Streisand, Al Jarreau, Luther Vandross, Quincy Jones, and of course, most notably, if you missed this song, you weren't alive in the 80s, uh, Whitney Houston. Yep, it's his sax that's heard on the mega hit, I Will Always Love You. Uh, but he's done so much more. Please welcome Kirk Whalem. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm great. Thank you. It's an honor to be on the show. Yeah, you know, and I and I know I'm talking to you right now in Memphis, which has, I mean, so much history, uh, which goes way beyond even Martin Luther King and the Lorraine Hotel. But let's start there because you're you're from Memphis, and I, even though you, yeah, yeah, and you know you've you've lived in California and Texas, but now you're back in Memphis. Let's go back a few years. Let's go back, you know, <laughs> a lot of years. You know, what was it like back in 1968, which America was burning up? Uh, uh, the, the cities were on fire. It was the year in which both, you know, Martin Luther King and and uh, Bobby Kennedy were killed. Uh, and you were a black musician on the road. Well, just suffice to say that at, at 62, you know, doing the math, I was nine when that happened. But but the fact that it impacted the world, uh, if you could say the microcosm of that, it, it certainly did uh, impact my world, my little world as a nine-year-old, as a pastor's kid, living about 14, 15 blocks from the Lorraine Motel. My dad knew Lorraine. Uh, my father was certainly, as most black pastors, uh, part of the movement, of the civil rights movement. And, you know, for me, the, the memory is traumatic. And, 
you know, the fact that my mom and dad and, and all the, you know, you know, I guess uh, um, figures, you know, adult uh, figures in my life were were in pieces, you know, when this happened. And, it, and as a nine year old, you know, you're trying to process what is this that actually that has happened. And, um, you know, it it occurred to me, I, I think I remember realizing that it was bigger than just, you know, a, a famous person getting killed. I, 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 I sensed that there, there was a, a spiritual thing that had happened, you know, and the way I look at it now is that it, it was an, it was an earthquake, you know, internationally, you know, that there was, that this thing that happened uh, was, was a spiritual darkness, like a, like a, a battle that had been won, uh, where the you know the person who personified and embodied uh, nonviolence was killed you know uh, in a violent exactly. way, so yeah it was it was traumatic. And I'm I'm assuming that you know as a child during that period, so much of what you were looking to do was also framed even perhaps from your parents or from your community as to, Kirk, this is all the things you can't do, or these are all the things well, you shouldn't do. Well, by the way, I mean, guess what? I mean, the, the 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 Lorraine Motel just so happens to have been the place where my older brother and I could could swim. My dad would take us because he knew Lorraine. He would let us, you know, Lorraine would let us swim in the pool there at the Lorraine Motel as if we were, you know, as if we were renting a room there. Uh, it was a big deal because we couldn't just swim anywhere, you know. Um, right. As a black kid, you, you you were limited in the places that you could swim in down south, and and so that was my memory of the Rainbow Tell. So not only was it this figure who had been assassinated, assassinated, the fact that it was done there at this place where we used to literally the the spot where people point to where King was shot, it overlooked what is now a parking lot, but it used to be the swimming pool. And every time you go by there, you're seeing that image again. I know it. Yeah, exactly. Now you've been a band leader since '79, and I, you know, I tell the story because my mom used to tell me the story because my mom used to be a singer with the big bands, and she used to be on the road with with Frank Sinatra's band. And in that band, he had a number of black musicians. He had Sammy Davis Jr. at one point, and they were traveling by bus, as something you know very well too. It's how they traveled, and and everywhere they went. Uh, Whenever the the hotel, and by the way, it happened more often than not, said, no, no, the, the, the blacks can't stay here. Sinatra would pull up stakes and said, then none of us are staying here. That was, you know, that was a tough move for Sinatra to make. He did it. But that was really the exception than, than the rule for most for most groups, wasn't it? It was. But, it, you know, again, I, I have to admit that it was a little before my time. And by the way, that's pretty cool that you, that you know you're, you're <laughs> yeah that's a that's a legacy I would certainly be proud of if I were you. But um, you know you know by the time I started touring, uh, it was the the late seventies, early eighties. Um, you know, but you know my own experience has more to do with the, the more kind of subtle, um, uh, you know, racism and the kind of boundaries. Uh, the passive aggressive type uh, scenarios that that one encounters, and, and the sort of assumption of white privilege and, and 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 even white supremacy, like you know we're better than you, thus this is the way things are, and so you just need to accept that. So yeah, that that was my experience. Well, of course, it's not about acceptance; it's about resilience and and growth. 
And so going back from 1979 till now, we're, you know, over 40 years later, uh, is there anything that you can look back to as a turning point for you and or a turning point in, in, in the black rights movement, if you will, in terms of the travel experience that you've had? Well, I mean, not specifically except to say my personal experience changed drastically when uh, in 1984 I opened a concert with my band uh, for the great Bob James, who New Yorkers will, of course, know because he wrote the theme to Taxi. And, um, you know, touring with Bob James, who was known in Japan and all over Asia and Europe as Mr. New York, um, you know, it, it was such a big deal for me as a 20-something, I guess maybe almost 30, uh, black guy to, you know, to kind of be flying first class and staying at the first class hotels, you know, like when you check in, it kind of occurs to you like, hmm, this wouldn't have happened quite like this, (laughs) you know, just a generation before me. Exactly. And of course, you got a chance to travel, which is, of course, that's what this is all about. You, You got to broaden your horizons and do it in a way that was essentially organic because it was part of what you were doing as as a musician. But now as yeah. a traveler, Go you've gone back now. You've got a great documentary. I want to talk about it, uh, where you've actually traveled with a different purpose, correct? Exactly, yeah. It's called humanité, which is the French word for humanity. And briefly, let me say, the reason that it's French is because when I was 19, speaking of traveling, I was in, in college and got a scholarship to study French. I was studying French, but I got a chance to, to do it there in Paris, you know, for for a whole summer and stay with a French family. Later on, you know, when I came back, I had been writing to my girlfriend saying, honey, one of these days when we get married, we're going to move to Paris. And, you know, time kept passing. We started having kids. And by the time we had four kids, she said, I'm pretty sure we're not going to do this. I said, does that mean you'd still do it if we went? And she said, yeah. And at the time, I was at a break in my touring with Whitney Houston because she was about to have a baby. (laughs) So, you know, Bobby Christina. So I said, let's do it. So we did. We moved to Paris, and we lived in Paris uh, for almost two years. And so, you know, that's what travel is what literally changed my life and, 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 you know, what I could imagine myself doing with my life and with my gift. And And, and to answer your question about the the project, you know, Humanité, now, you know, the thing that I basically gave to myself as a 60th birthday present was to do that, to travel, to go, you know, back to a lot of places that I'd already been and encountered uh, uh, these young artists who were just, man, just blew me away. But, of course, who we didn't know here in the States, but some of whom were huge in their area, for instance, Afghan with over 6 million followers on social media in, in Southeast Asia, you know, lives in Jakarta, et cetera, and then other artists who were up and coming. So that was, you know, travel is the thing I love most, you know, about music except the music itself. Of course. And when we come back, I want to talk to you in depth about where you went and what you experienced and some of the surprises. And, of course, most importantly, looking at your entire travel portfolio, not only the lessons that you learned – but also the lessons that you applied, not just to make you a better traveler, but to be able to communicate what people really needed to hear, way beyond just the music. Uh, Talk about a very different way to travel and the discoveries you made along the way. So give me an idea, Kirk, of of how you picked the locations and then where you were surprised along the way. Sure. Um, One example is being in a place called Hastings, England, uh, right there on the coast, and... um, 
you know, sitting in in a little jazz bar uh, called Porter's and hearing a lady who just completely blew me away named Leanne Carroll. Little did I know that she also is an award-winning, multi-award-winning jazz singer. But she lives, she's from Hastings. She lives there. She loves this little bar. They're, you know, it's a pub. I mean, there, there, there must be 35 seats in this place. But, you know, to, the, the relationships that come from those encounters uh, can blow up into some pretty huge things. And, and she recorded on, on my Humanité record. And I was able to include in the documentary, uh, because we're tying it all into the, to the narrative of Martin King and the beloved community, how that in music and arts and, and entertainment, even that it's really, it's a representation of what we are as humanity. We're one big family. And it's a beloved, God loves all of us the same. And and to hear her talk about, because the song Wildflower uh, that she's saying is about, you know, domestic violence and sex trafficking and that type of thing, to hear her talk about her own situation where, in her words, her dad, she sat there and watched her dad beat the living hell out of her mom, you know, uh, for really no real reason, you know, like somebody ate his pudding uh, out of the fridge. And so this is the type of, of narrative, the type of story we're able to include in the documentary. And it represents, again, I could go on and on about Kenya and, you know, about Japan and, and Paris and all the places that we, you know, that we went that we found the same thing. So much diversity, but, man, we're all the same. And in some surprising places within those places, like that pub. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. And you just sort of happen upon experiences like that in travel, and that's why it's so important. You know, when my children were able to go to school in Paris, four kids, by the way, were able to go to school in Paris, you know, ages 5 to 14, to see just how differently people learn and, and just the school systems and, you know, just the you know, get inside the culture like that, man, it changed them forever. Now they're in their thirties and even 40. Uh, and yeah, that, that, that was their education. And I have to ask the obvious question. Are they still bilingual? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, they, you know, I speak French and Spanish. You know, I, I later, later, you know, learned Spanish, you know, traveled to Guatemala and, and studied there and, and, you know, I would love for them to speak more than they do. They're, they're, it's funny, like, the youngest is actually now becoming fluent in Spanish, so forget about whatever thousands of dollars it took for us to get them to, <laughs> to go to school. In the schools alone were crazy expensive, you know. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping they'll pick back up on the front someday. Of all the places that you traveled for this project, again, it's called Humanité, what was the one destination that was completely unexpected for you in terms of what you were hoping to see happen that didn't or something that you'd never thought was going to happen that did? Okay, uh, I have a couple of little vignettes I'm going to share with you after the, answering that question. But, but the one is, is, you know, being invited to go on stage at the Java Jazz Festival where I was performing anyway. But the promoter said, would you go and, go and do a duet with this young pop singer? I'm like, yeah, sure. And so... I, I I entered from backstage, so I didn't really know what was going on. You know the jazz and what and what country have, was this? What country was this? This is in Indonesia. Okay, in Jakarta, Indonesia, and so I didn't know if there were going to be you know a hundred people, five hundred people. I walk in and there's four thousand screaming girls, <laughs> and uh, you know this guy Afghan is is a heartthrob, and you know 
Muslim kid who's, you know, huge, larger than life over there. So here I'm walking on stage as a kind of old jazz guy from the state was kind of giving me a, a different kind of credit. Let me put an asterisk here and say that being a black jazz musician from the United States is gravitas <laughs> in, in many places. Maybe not here, but in Indonesia, it's absolutely gravitas. And so there are, you know, there I was, uh, I walk out and I play my saxophone uh, with, with this young, young superstar, you know. And guess what? You got big applause. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, I think they kind of dug me, you know. Uh, it, it was cool <laughs> because, again, it, it, it's just sort of the, you know, the, the, the matching, the pairing of two really totally different artists. And later, again, later he, he said, yeah, I'll be happy to sing on, on, on your project. And so, you know, we, he's, in the, he's, in the, uh, he's on the CD, he's on the, on the, you know, on the documentary. I wanted, before I forget it, this quick little story about being in Norway. I was in Norway with Whitney Houston, and uh, I'm walking down the street, you know, trying to find the, the Royal Palace, Imperial Palace, and, and I asked the lady it was at this particular corner, I said, excuse me, ma'am, can you show me where the palace is? She said, oh, yeah, it's just right down this way. And I said, well, thank you very much. So I turned and started walking and almost got hit by a car because I wasn't paying attention. I was at this corner. And she, and she saw it. She said, hey, hey, be careful. She said, you could, you could get killed, especially being black. Whoops. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, it's just time stood still for me. And uh, the story that you just told about Norway was, uh, I bet you didn't expect that to happen. <laughs> that, was the, that was the last thing I expected. And, and of course, you know, Pete, I, I asked her, I said, why is it? Am I more likely to get hit by a car if I'm black? <laughs> you know, am I my better target or what? <laughs> she said, "No, it's just because." And then, and then there goes the you know the propaganda. She says, "Well, it's because you know there's lots of immigrants here from Africa, and and and, and they don't like to, they don't want to work, and they're this and they're that." And I went, "Wow, wow!" You know, once again, black people, people of color, do most of the work. Yeah, so I get it. To say that, oh, you'll, they don't want to work. I'm like, what is that, man? I know. So I guess, and tell me if I'm going in the wrong direction here, but, you know, when you only have 37% of the American population owning a passport anyway, uh, you had the unique opportunity to do all this incredible travel, either as a musician or essentially here as a producer, and then bring that experience back to America to put it in the proper juxtaposition, if you will, or in the proper perspective in terms of the overall black experience. That's right, Peter. And, and you could think about it as that, you know, what art does, what music does, is it, is it, it lifts us up above the hedges uh, so that we can see in it, into each other's yard. And we can say, hey, wait a minute, down, down there, people were saying this about those people or that about those people. Now I'm up here and I'm like, they are just like us. You know, they, they're out there playing, you know, badminton or whatever <laughs> and uh, with their kids. And, and so uh, that's, to me, the, the blessing of travel, again, as a, as a black person, uh, you know, first of all, to acknowledge that what I do for a living is connected with thousands upon thousands of other people of color who have innovated in a way that's unparalleled in history. And so then to be able to go and showcase that in a setting where people have to take you for who you are, they respect what you do, and you're able to humanize, you know, the, the, the person of color to say, hey, wait, I'm, we're just alike. It's just, you know, you're from this place, I'm from that place. Well, you know, the bottom line for in all of my experience in terms of travel 
is the probably the most powerful thing that travel does is if you allow it, it allows you to have, I use it the big bad C word, the conversation. And in that process, it allows you to, to reach common ground. And once that happens, all those other boundaries and borders and stereotypes start to sort of like disappear. Exactly, man. You know, conversation is, is what it's all about. And and I'm just lately just really trying my best to, to get more tools in my tool belt of how to, you know, come into that conversation with openness and not to judge people ahead of time. They used to call that prejudice. And, you know, to really try to listen. I mean, you know, because I've been so angry lately with things that are going on. Uh, I, I've had to really you know, dig down and try to get some better tools to, to, to listen better. Then how do you move forward right now? Based on everything that's happened in your life up till now and in the black experience up to now, and then, of course, in the last 18 months that we've all experienced at least seeing it and talking about it, how do you then move forward, whether you're traveling or not, to continue to stay in that conversation? Well, I, I think you have to you have to go back to the basics of, you know, why am I here? And does everybody have to like me in order for me to be effective at at delivering the mail, as it were? You know, this message that I have in my soul, I'm also a Christian. I'm, I'm also a person who believes that every faith tradition is to be honored. And 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 that's one of the sort of bylines of this, of this documentary is that I was able to prove that out, you know, recording with Jewish and Muslim and, and atheist, you know, musicians. As a Christian, to say that, guess what? We 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 vibe on the same uh, wavelength, no matter what our faith tradition or what what our culture is. You know, as as a you know, as as an artist with the privilege of traveling, I get to just be who I am, and that's the thing. When I talk to young musicians, I do a lot of tutoring. I try to say, listen, the most important person you can be is you. You got to really know who that is. Because that's, right. that's your most effective weapon. Kirk Whalem, Grammy Award-winning composer and saxophonist, and perhaps most importantly, for everybody listening to me now, check out Humanité. You'll find it on Amazon, iTunes. My thanks to Kirk, to Martinique Lewis, and my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, and these days, believe it or not, all the travel news is breaking, just log on to petergreenberg.com. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.